0: This is episode number 137 with our guest, Sean Douglas. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. We want the best of both worlds. We want a hybrid. A smarter hybrid cloud approach with IBM helps retailers manage supply chains with Watson AI while predicting demands with ease. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Well, hey there, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us. You know you're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is a U.S. Air Force veteran, a TEDx speaker, a master resilience implementer and suicide awareness trainer, a business positioning strategist, an international radio show host of Life Transformation Radio, and an author. His why is he's a suicide survivor who hit rock bottom with no purpose or passion, never felt loved or valued, feeling lost in the world and tried to take his own life. He now shares his personal testimony on stages globally and sends the message that at any point you have the power to say, this is not how my story ends. My goodness, I get it. He believes that you were created for a purpose, and once you unlock your true potential, you will elevate your life. I'm a student of this dialogue. I can't wait to explore it further. It's the man and the legend. It is Sean Douglas. What's going on, Sean? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm very well. I'm so excited to, to dive into this because as I've said, I get it. I relate. I've been there. And like you, still living it, right? We're positively on the other side, and here we are. I want to get your, your impression on this, this one title of yours, a master resilience implementer. Um, I, I, on paper, I know what resilience means, but I Googled it just to get the exact definition. So resilience is defi- defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties toughness. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that the goal for all of us? Why were you so drawn to that title? Why is that so important?
1: Yeah, um, that's that's Webster's definition. My definition of resilience is your ability to withstand, recover, and grow through those adversities, stress, and life-changing demands. That's what I love about resilience is it's your ability to withstand, recover, then grow. Because like a rubber band, we're supposed to bounce back to our to where we were before, right? Elasticity, you know, when, when, when something is stretched, you know, we're supposed to come back to its original space. But as a human, we can't go back to its original space. We need to grow from that. And mm-hmm. so I've added that on to the definition of your ability to withstand, recover, and grow through the adversity or the stress or the depression or the anxiety. And I'm drawn to this because in my life, I wasn't that I mean I was resilient but I was knocked out at one point I was at my lowest at one point and I needed to bounce forward not bounce back to where I was but I needed to grow from that I needed to bounce forward from that because I kept making the same mistakes over and over again and I was expecting a different outcome which drove me to you know depression and drove out my relationships and drove out people that I absolutely loved And now I've mastered those forms of resilience. And my wife just asked me yesterday, she was, how how can you be so positive about everything? Like, I just don't understand it. Cause I'm always about how she's so negative. Like, you're so negative about that. Like, don't be so negative about it. So we're driving down the road and she's like upset with me and she's upset with some other stuff and she's just like frustrated, you know? And I'm just like, doo, 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 doo. like I'm all smiling, you know? And she's like, I don't understand it. Like, it like how could you be so positive? Like, like I don't understand that. I'm like, it's a mindset.
0: Let's talk Why? about that because I get that too, right? That, um, wow, like uh, everything, and, and it's true. I feel genuinely excited about things and very few things uh, irk yeah. me in that way. And the trick is I'm getting with, with all this resilience is that, If because we absolutely cannot be 100% positive 100% of the time, but the thing is when things uh, sidetrack you and you find yourself uh, less than that ideal emotion is to quickly recover from it, right? So how do you, um, what do you think it comes down to first? How is it possible to remain uh, optimistic and positive the majority of the time?
1: Yeah. I allow myself to feel. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is a huge part of resilience. If this episode, wasn't working if if you know the the equipment wasn't working and this has happened on my show yes and i'm getting mad i'm getting frustrated i'm like come on like it's not connecting it's not working like i can't hear my guest or some mic problems and you know i'm allowing myself to feel but i know that i'm not just gonna flop the handle like throw things across the room like right but i allow myself to feel and i'm feeling upset and i'm feeling mad and i'm feeling frustrated And, and i'm feeling upset and i'm feeling all these things and i'm feeling these things and i'm fully aware of my actions that could come from these feelings i allow myself to feel but then i know in my mind how can i recover from this like i'm i'm all the time all the time how can i recover how can i recover how can i make this better how can i recover and always in my mind i'm staying positive but i'm allowing myself to feel these emotions because if we just try to bury how we feel then we're never going to grow and that's how I that's how I do it. And it was so funny when she asked me, she goes, I don't understand how you can be so positive. You know, and I just I don't I don't get it. Like because I'm I'm allowing myself to fully feel the emotion, the emotions that I feel every day. Am I if I'm mad, I allow myself to feel mad, but then I gotta recover from that. Yeah. I allow myself to feel sad and then I and then I gotta recover from it. Like, how do I recover from that? So all of those negative emo- I don't think there's any negative emotions. Like, I really don't. We we feel mad, sad, angry, depressed, things, right? We yeah. feel these things. It's our body's reactions to situations. So the, the ones that we feel deemed negative, you know, we have to recover from those and put a smile on our face and happy. But the wrong thing to do, the wrong action to take is to not allow yourself to feel, but to sit inside of that depression, that angriness, that, that negative feeling, and then put a smile on your face and act like everything's okay. So Mm. I allow myself to feel, and then I, and then I deal with those emotions that I'm dealing with, and I bounce back or bounce forward with positivity and gratitude habits. And, you know, whatever I got to do, whatever, whether it be a mindfulness exercise or gratitude in that moment, hunting for the good stuff in every situation, you know, I, I hit a deer with our with our van. My first deer ever in my life. I grew up in Michigan. A lot of cars hit deer. I never did, but then but then it happened to me, and I was like, oh my gosh! Like, are you okay? Is everybody all right? Like, okay, okay. The damage isn't that bad. I'm assessing. I'm 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 feeling right. I'm upset. I'm angry, but I'm okay. But my wife's okay. Kids are okay. Like everybody's like everybody's alive, and it's fixable. So I've dealt. I felt, and now it's time to move on. And now it's drivable. I drove the car, you know, a mile and a half down the road to my mom's house while we were visiting my mom. And we were, I drove the mile and a half and I was like, mom, I hit my first deer. Like, how cool is that? You know, and I was happy. She goes, What? Oh my gosh, are you okay? And even my mom was like, You're okay, right? Everyone's okay. She's like, eh, it's not that bad. Tape it, you're fine. And then we move on. And that's it. Even my mom does that. My mom is even like, look, I'm upset, but everyone's okay, right? Okay. Well then well then it, it takes no more energy from me in this moment. And then
0: we move on. The thing you've said a few times is you said dealt, felt, and then that key phrase, time to move on. And that's what I've realized too with um, a wife and two children who, uh, you know, back when I was at my unhealthiest, there was a lot of triggering, right? Everything they would do or say would trigger me. And I'd I'd sit in that negative feeling, anger, frustration, all of that just, just negative stuff. And then that would perpetuate, I wasn't able to get myself out of it thinking, and you know, not only am I feeling this way because of that situation, if only that didn't happen, I wouldn't feel like this, incorrect logic there. But then I would beat myself up and say, see, I knew it. I am this kind of person. I'll always be this kind of person. This is me. So isn't that part of it too, acknowledging that, the, that you're almost separate from the feeling it's not you it's not who you are you're just experiencing that so yes when we experience a negative emotion today we're able to to quickly work through that in part because you're not identifying with it right yeah yep. nailed it yeah so so you took on this um, master resilience title uh you came up with that that was that that was your ownership
1: yeah I did. Yeah. Uh, So, so the military has something called a master resilience trainer and there's different MRTs in, in the air force and the army. And, and, and I was like, well, I, I don't really like trainer. I just don't like like, you know, speaker trainer. Like, it's like, what, what really do I do? What really am I about? And everybody tells me, man, how do you get so much done? Like, man, you are like a system implementer. Like you take action. Like, holy, like you, you get stuff done, you know? And I said, I like implementation. I, it's, it's, it's like taking action. So essentially what I've done is I've taken the mastered resilience and implemented it in my life and created master resilience implementer. And that's what I created for myself.
0: So if you were working with me a few years ago when I was at my lowest, you know, knowing that God, this, this isn't who I am, this isn't who who I want to be. I'm well aware that I'm better than this. I'm well aware that there's more for me, but I just keep spinning around in this in- incredibly depressing, vicious cycle. How do how do you work with me? How do you how do you get me from there to here?
1: The number one rule of resilience is to count three blessings every day. So you must count three blessings, whether it be morning, noon, and night, or maybe it's all at one time. Maybe it's at the end of the day, or maybe you wake up and get gratitude, but you have to wake up in a state of gratitude. And so you have to hunt the good stuff inside of every single situation. First thing we do is we hunt the good stuff list the good things that are happening in your life. You have a wife, you have a couple of kids, you have a car, you have a job, you have a house. You know what? We start listing like all of the, all of the good stuff. And then the second thing we do is we're going to list all of the things that you think are negative. And then we're going to build on those negative, uh, those negative connotations, those, those negative aspects, the the, the cons of your life. There's a, there's a, uh, a research study called the Broaden and Build Theory. And Barbara Fredrickson is a UNC researcher and she coined the Broaden and Build Theory back in 2004. And it says that every negative emotion builds on itself and every positive emotion builds on itself. And when you have positive emotions building, you can actually broaden your thinking but that the negative emotions close off your thinking, but yet you can still build on those negative emotions. So you have positive emotions and you're building, 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 building. And then you have negative emotions, which are driving you down. The more positivity you have, the less negative you have to build on. But once you have a lot of negative, it goes down this little, you know, spiral, you know, and the farther you go down the spiral, the deeper you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna go, but you need more positivity to bring you out. So if you have positive emotions and you are always staying positive no matter what, hunting the good stuff, yes, I realize that I just hit a deer, but everybody's alive. So now I've counteracted the the immediate negative thought with a positive one. Oh, my gosh, it's going to take uh, hundreds. It's going to take thousands of dollars to fix this van, but I have insurance. And so every negative emotion you, you find, you need to counteract that with a positive. And so the, the goal is to have more positivity – the negative. It's just like money in your bank account. You have a gratitude bank. So the first thing we're going to work on is is the counteracting, the cognitive thinking that you have about the negativity in your life and why you always go to the negative place instead of the positive place. Mostly it's our brains, but that's, that's the first thing we do is to get that mindset of how can I balance thoughts quickly?
0: Now tell me if I'm, if, if, if this is correct. Um, Two things uh, the person on the receiving end of this work together has to do. One, they have to absolutely want, right, and be willing to go down this, right? And, uh, And there's also an idea that it's not an immediate instant thing, right? It's like training ourselves over and over. It takes a little bit of time to just keep doing.
1: So the research says that in the first seven days, you can either make or break a habit. Up to 21 days, it takes to start forming a new habit. After 66 days, that habit is now solidified. It is part of you. It is a habit. So with the, with, with the resilience, I can get you there in the first 7 to 14 days. 21, we really, like we've nailed this. But at 66 days, on the 67th day or the 67th time that you've done it, you'll do it all the time. It, it's a part of you now.
0: Yeah. So you, um, we, we've obviously touched upon your military training specifically, uh, you were, um, part of the U S air force and, but also you were, you were a, a drill sergeant trainer of, of 600 yeah. men. Spell that out for me.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I was, uh, so in the air force is called a military training instructor, an MTI in the, in the, Army and Marines. It's a DI, a drill instructor. It's basically what we are. We're drill instructors. And from 2009 to 2011, I was leading flights through basic training. Wow! And I led I led ten flights of about fifty to 60, uh, 50 to sixty men and women. And so that I mean that was amazing. That was you know that was incredible, incredible. I trained a bunch of flights. Um, you know, outside of that, but I personally led about 600 men and women and, and created military leaders. And absolutely the best part about this is when I see what happens after they leave. So I have two people right now that I trained that were that were trainees through my uh, through my flights in basic training who are now, mti is back at lackland air force base they have come back and become drill instructors in their own careers and one of them has caught my rank i don't know <laughs> it's like what like i look at, like how are we the same rank you know but i look back and literally like 10 years ago was when i pushed my first flight so i'm like well that make okay well you have 10 years that that makes sense you know because i mean some kids skyrocket through the ranks you know and others yeah. just kind of do the bare minimum Con, uh but this connect these dots for me
0: connect yeah. these very admirable incredible on paper listening to it extraordinary but if i'm getting the timeline right in that in that era you were still underneath all that feeling unlovable unwanted oh, yeah. uh-huh. unvalidated how did you Feel all that very legitimately so, but then show up like this. Was sure. that just the cover, and that's how you were? Like, how did how did you show up? how?
1: Yeah. So so, two thousand seven, two thousand eight was really like the worst years of my life. Two thousand seven, my house burned down. Um, I had done all the wrong things, made all the wrong decisions, and and really the highlight of, of 2007 was getting married. And then, you know, the kids and like, I was like a bright spot. Thank God. Like finally something good is coming. Right. I mean, I'm getting married now. Like this is going to be amazing. Uh, but even then, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, I don't, I, I just, I look back and I'm like, there's no way, like if I'm looking at my kids, I'm like, there's no way I would let them do this. Like, You have so much work to do on yourself, you know, but of course we play it off. We're like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. But as soon as I got married, it was like, cool. So now I got someone to take care of me. I can just drink and party and whatever I want to do. And I can just, you know, whatever. And that's not the way to go. So in 2008, she left, took the kids. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of, you know, anger and, and, you know, the suicide stuff comes, you know, it's just, it's bad. So in 2009, um, I'm, I'm really I'm starting to get help. Like I'm doing some therapy stuff and I'm talking to chaplains and I got support systems in place and people are really surrounding me with love and and like man you can do this and I, and I'm going to, you know, to mental health and I'm getting, you know, my life together. I I would hope. And then they said, "Hey man, your job is closing down." Like like we're it's going away. So what we're going to do is we're going to give people orders and and you have first choice of any orders that you want. And, and this is like months into 2009. And my boss is like, you should go be a a drill instructor. You should, you should go down to Lackland, man. You should go train these kids. I'm like, what are you serious? Like, dude, I'm serious, man. You're you, you, man, you're so far above what you were, you know, in 2008 Matt. You're not drinking, not smoking. You're getting your life together. You're way, Like I see a huge difference in you. So I'm now I'm sober, not drinking, not smoking, you know, I, nothing like I'm taking care of myself. I'm eating right. I'm, I'm at the gym. I'm doing my therapy. I'm doing, you know, I'm going to the chaplains, talking to them. I'm doing everything right. I'm in alcohol dependency classes. I'm doing everything right. He's like, you should like, I'm not even joking. Like you should do this. So, okay. I put in an application, and my bosses all wrote me letters like, this guy needs this. Like, you need this. This is what you need. Mm. Like, why do I need this? So in May of 20, what was it? 2009. Yeah, May of 2009, I got accepted to be a drill instructor and went down there for training. And training is seven weeks long. Basically follows a, a basic training flight from zero to graduation. It's basically what it is. So you teach to certain classes like, it's basically a lot of hands-on. Like, okay, they're showing up. Show up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Let's go pick up this flight. Like, brand new, you know, people who are learning. And all you do is, like, observe. And they're like, hey, go yell at them. I'm like, about what? They're like, anything. Just go yell about anything. Is that true? Like, really? Oh, huh? I'm not even joking. Okay. Like, be- because it's a whole, like, shock and awe thing. Yeah, like, yeah, welcome yeah. to basic training. Is- right? Yeah. And so – and so they're like, go yell at them to go in the shower. Like, I don't care. Just, just go. And you're like, get in the shower. Ah! And you're like screaming. They're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And they're like, this is what this job is? Like, This is ridiculous. So what it did for me going through school was I was learning to communicate better. I was learning to lead. Like, you have to lead or you're going to get kicked out. And we lost two people from our class. We had 18 of us. We graduated with 16. They were like... You're you're gone. This isn't for you. And then through being a drill instructor, you're put in charge of fifty to sixty kids. And the oldest that I've ever had in basic training was a forty year old, but she only lasted like a couple of days. She got injured, broke her ankle. They shipped her off. Like you can't do this. I had a thirty five year old one time who was a triathlete, badass dude. He was amazing, running the mile and a half at like nine something. Like guy was a monster. And, uh, and I really l- relied on him cause I'm in my like late twenties, oh,
0: wow!
1: you know, you know, um, 10 years ago, I was 26, 10 years ago, 2009. Yeah, I was 26. So I really relied. I was like, dude, you know, I- I'm going to really rely on you. You're going to be my dorm chief called dorm chiefs, like second in command, you know, of the flight or first in command of the flight, but really the guy that I like, you're my second guy, you know? And so I'm like, hey, I'm leaving for the night. Here's what I need you to get done. Here's what I need you to make happen. And they really followed him. And it was really good to have that. But I learned a lot about myself and I grew in myself. But 2009, you know, it was that I was so insecure. I'm like, mm. I don't know. And But I knew how to mask pain because I've done it for so long. So I was just happy. I was, you know what? But there was so many times like, I'm, I'm just, I can't do this. Like, I'm going to give up. Like, I, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I can't yell at people. Like, I'm just not that type of person, you know? Um, I don't know. It it just didn't feel like like me. But then the problems once again began. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking. But when you're addicted to something, when you're addicted to – to you know alcohol or drugs or whatever it is right workaholic you know i brought that stuff home with me i'd be screaming at these kids all day like make your beds march you know all this stuff and then i'd come home and go wife why is the house clean kids get your homework done and start and start drill instructing the kids and the wife and my wife's like hell no <laughs> like you better take your back up like get the hell so yeah wow. she's like get out of my house like no So again, it was like, we're separated. And then it was like, it was just bad. And I was like, okay, I can't do this again. So in 2011, I told my boss, I said, this job is taking a toll on my wife and kids. I can't keep coming home and yelling and screaming at them, you know, acting like, because that's what I do all day. Like I need, I need, I just, I can't do this right now. And I, and I made him aware. I said, I can't be, This and the hut, like I haven't developed that switch yet. He goes, "Oh yeah, you gotta develop that switch, man. You gotta you gotta turn it off and on. You gotta turn it off and on." So I learned about that, and then I got moved in 2011. I got moved to field training, and I this is where like I really wanted to be because we're out in the field teaching them survival tactics. We're teaching that self aid and buddy care. We're teaching the obstacle course and and leadership, and we're teaching them weapons fighting and, and they're going to the, to the range to go fire the weapon. And, and we're teaching them about IEDs and we're talking, talking about, you know, in the field, what do you do? You know, how do you, how do you navigate, you know, the, you know, these IEDs and how do you navigate the deployment and, and, and all that. So, you know, chem gear, and weapons, and like, we're we're deployed, you know, simulating a deployed environment. And that's where I really was like, I really want to be there, which didn't work weekends because the kids didn't go through the weekend. It was just Monday through Friday. So I didn't really work weekends. Uh, I'd help out here and there, but really it wasn't like a weekend thing, but it was like an all day, all day thing, Mm. you know, Monday through Friday. So I really got my weekends back, which was a perk of taking that job, but you work just as hard. And, um, but I wasn't, it wasn't like March and do this and do yeah. like, you're more of a mentor. Wow. Like there wasn't a whole lot of screaming out there. Like, like basic training because it doesn't get you anywhere. So, so it's really like you re- needed. Yes. It's I was just really, saying, yeah. I learned to talk and communicate. Cause I, cause I used to, you know, I teach classes and we'd mentor them, but I'd yell and scream and it was part of being a drill instructor. But in the field, there is no time for the foolishness. You know, it's, hey, guys, listen, this is what we need to get done today. And I really need to teach you this. I really need to get you to listen. Hmm. You know, and so when you talk to them as humans and you humanize them in that moment, you get more done so imagine that
0: i'm sorry imagine that which you're saying that and i'm like i was never in the military but i'm like yeah i could have used that a few years ago when i'm trying to learn how to parent how to be a dad right now it's like yeah that's that that's what you got to do and a husband and a friend and a teacher and all of that stuff
1: yep yeah so 2009 was really my insecurity was kind of like i don't know and Get yelled at, but my trainer would like scream and yell at me like, you're doing it wrong. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it was like, it was all of this, you know, but I'm still like, they're still well aware, you know, and it got recommended and and people got talked to like, Hey, this is what he needs. Like he needs this, Wow, you know, you're either going to fold under pressure or you're going to, you know, become a diamond. Right. And they always talk about that. And basically, we always talk about like we're putting so much pressure on you that we're creating these diamonds because diamonds are put under a thousand pounds of pressure. Mm. And out of that pressure comes these diamonds. And so we're always talking about like put on the pressure, put the pressure on them, put the pressure on those kids. And they're either going to fold or they're going to come out on the other side amazing. And so as I got comfortable and as I was like, I, I got this, and I developed my own sense of confidence, I, I, I knew not to get cocky and not to get arrogant, not to get egotistical, because that's what happened before. And so I, you know, by, by the end of 2010, I was the guy that they're like, hey, can you come teach my flight this stuff? Like, hey, you're the go-to guy in this thing. Can you help me with these guys? And, man, I really, you know, I really enjoy your flights. You know, can you teach me this? And, can, and so I started teaching a lot of other instructors. And then they gave me all of the students that would come through who want to be instructors, they give them to me and go train this kid. Like, okay. So then I was training and then, and then I developed my leadership and then I developed my confidence. And then in 2011, I was like, okay, I'm done with this, you know, stress part. Give me the, the good stuff. Give me the stuff that everybody wants. Give me the leadership stuff. Let me be the focal point guy. And then I was, and then I've taken what I've learned in those four years from 2009 to 2013 and, and and really taking that and used it to my advantage in my life and in, in, in my
0: businesses. That's incredible. So you, you touched upon a lot of good points from 2007. And I know that incident uh, in 2008, uh, sitting with a loaded yeah. gun and contemplating your own life through 2009, 2011. Yep. And then a couple of times you mentioned about um, your... Your wife said, thanks, but no thanks, get out. So how did you finally, I guess in 2011, with all those things, what was that personal uh, relationship life like now? Did you come back and say, honey, I, I, I'm I, now better, I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm able? What did you have to put in place on that front?
1: Yeah, we were, good. We were separated for like four months, and it was – it was a lot of uh introspective if you will there was a lot of healing still that i had to go through and what i what i feel like was going on was i was remembering what was happening in 2007 and 2008 and you know so so in 2008 we actually uh we filed for divorce we were done we were going to court and all that stuff and then i left to go to to go to school and it was like, well, are we still going through with this divorce? Are we not going through this divorce? Like, what are we doing? And then she came to see me in July when I, when I graduated, it was like, well, let's just, let's just, let's just get back together. Let's just figure this out. And cause most of 2008, we were separated. Like summer of like 2008, all the way through like the time I left almost a year, you know, we were separated. It was, uh, it was about nine months I say. And so, you know, it that was it we were done it was over and we had the divorce hearing and like all this stuff it was like so what are we doing like are we staying are we not staying like what are we doing like this is it this is final and we decided to stay together she came to see me you know in uh, in july of 2009 when i graduated from mti school and we decided like let's just make it let's just make it work you know i've done a lot of work on myself but it was i mean we were great you know Uh, But there were still these issues. There were still these issues, and we never let go of the past. Both of us would still hold grudges. I was still, you know, try to assert myself like I'm the man of the house, and it's my way or no way, and all this other stuff. You know, all the garbage. And then in 2011, you know the main the main factor was that I I was bringing my work home with me. Uh, I wasn't lovable, and we never really forgave ourselves for what happened in 2011. Or uh, 2000, uh, 2008, eight two thousand nine, so we split up. Mm. But as I got into a new job uh, or a new position, uh, I started to feel a lot better. You know, I was I was starting to read a lot of leadership books, started reading a lot of like self help books, and you know, and, and really we went we went to marriage counseling. I said, let's do marriage counseling. Like like I don't want this to, and we've been through so much already. So we went through marriage counseling. And then we got back together and then we made it through the rest of my my tour. Then we left in 2013, came to where we are now in North Carolina. And then the new change, we didn't really fit well with the change because there's so much that happened with that. And it was like, I don't know, like, and, and, and I was going to get deployed again. So it was like, do we split up? Do we not? Like, we need to figure our life out. Like, we're always talking about, like, well, if we don't like it, go away. If you don't like it, leave. If you don't like it, you know, whatever. And then in 2014, we ended up having a kid. And then it was like, well, shit, now we're invested now. <laughs> like, now, you know, now we really, now there's this other factor, you know. And uh, And I just, I don't know. I can't. Now in 2019, I can't even fathom um, not being married to my wife, you know, as much as we might get on each other's nerves, as much as we might make each other angry, um, we, we don't, we don't uh, go there. You know what I mean? It's not an option for us to split up or, or divorce or like we don't, it's, it's not an option at this <laughs> point.
0: I want to go back and then connect Uh, Some of these pivotal moments, but take us back to the beginning. What was life like growing up for Sean Douglas? Oh, God. As a young child. Oh, God.
1: Really? Uh, Alcohol dominated domestic violence household. My mom and dad split up. My dad went in the Air Force. My mom said, if you leave, you're going to be by yourself. You're going to be alone. I'm leaving you. I'll divorce you. He goes, well, this is in my heart. I have to go. And he left. And my mom divorced him. Uh, She, she, while he was gone, got in with another guy who eventually became my stepfather. And from the time that I was in second grade to the time that I was in sixth grade, uh, me and my older sister and my mom were relentlessly physically, mentally, and emotionally abused. Oh no. So fourth and fifth grade, I remember this. Like I like, like it happened weeks ago. I can remember the emotions. That's how raw this was. Uh, in Michigan, we used to go out and shovel snow. So I went out, shoveled a bunch of snow. And I remember, I can't remember where he, where he was, but I know he wasn't there. He's probably out one of his Coke friends or whatever. Cause he was, oh, wow. you know, he snort, snort, you know, cocaine off the, like off the coffee table. You know, he's like, go get me another beer. And like, he'd scream at me and like throw, throw his can. And I'd go in, grab another beer. He's like, empty my ashtray. Like we were like his slaves. Wow. And, um, Yeah. So I remember one night, you know, I came home and I'd made $65 and I'd come home and my mom came to the back, you know, to the back room and she's like, everything okay? He's like, mom, I made $65 and we have to hide this. Like we, like we can't let him have this because he always took the money. He stole jewelry, stole our bikes, pawn shops, like everything. He would take everything. So that he could, so that he could pay for his alcohol and drugs or whatever he was doing. And, um, and I remember I was like, mom, we have to, we have to hide this. We can't let him find it. You know, I was like, give it like either give it to me or let's let, where are we going to put that? We have to hide this. Wow. And she goes, I know where to hide it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I know how to hide it. And, and, and the one thing my mom, she wouldn't hide too much stuff. I mean, I heard about bounce checks. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. So go pass another check and, you know, so uh, we grew up rather poor. I mean, pancakes for dinner because we didn't have any food in the house except for pancake mix, you know, which which only took water. I mean, you don't really need eggs. You don't really need milk. It's just pancake mix and water. We had plenty of water. And and so we'd have pancakes for breakfast sometimes. Sometimes we'd have soup because we didn't have anything else. And uh, if we did have something else, he would take it.
0: So know, your or mom, she would
1: buy something. Yeah. So,
0: you, so your mom successfully hid the $65. Yes. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and now, then he
1: get mad. He's like, well, how come, how come you didn't tell me? Like, where, where this food come from? And where'd this come from? And how come this and this? And how come? And she's like, well, I just, I had some extra money. He's like, you don't have any extra money, you know? And, and yeah. So we would leave for visitation weekends with my dad, with my real dad. We would leave, me and my two sisters would leave for visitation weekends, and we were like, I don't know. Do we say anything? I don't know. And you know, then my grandparents would find a bruise, or my aunt and uncle would find a bruise, and it was like, do they call CPS? And the CPS got called one time, and and we just we were always told like, most of my childhood w- was was told if you do this, I will kill you, or or you're dead. You're dead when I get home. You know, and and we always feared for our life. You know, I would come home from school and he's like, I heard about this. You're freaking dead. And I'm like, does that mean like for real? I and, know, right. You know, I'm in fourth grade, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I'm in fourth grade. Like, I don't know, you know, or my mom would be on the phone. And she goes, you're dead when you, get, when, when I get home, like you're dead meat, you know, we're both gonna, you know, whatever. So I try to hide in my room or I would just leave the house or, you know, but in sixth grade, it got to the point where my mom got like bloodied up and we got like, I got, I got thrown across the room and my sister got hit. It was just like this whole big thing and the cops came and, you know, I I think it was a combination between the neighbors and the family and everyone was like, did you guys have got to get out? Like you guys have got to get out. And so we did. And we went and lived in my grandparents' basement, full finished basement, everything. We just took it over and we just lived there. We lived in my grandparents' house.
0: Was that move the – was that the happily ever after, for the most part, in that chapter?
1: Well, I mean, we weren't abused anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's what I'm
0: talking about, yeah. So that really yeah. became your safe haven, and, 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 and that became a thing in the past from there.
1: For the most part. Um, so we lived at my grandparents' house uh, for two years, and then a guy behind my grandparents' house shared the back fence, asked my mom out started dating seemed like a nice guy and then we moved into his house and then he wasn't a nice guy and you never really know somebody right like you never really know somebody so we ended up moving in and he was he was just as bad as the stepfather you know except for the abuse except for the physical well i mean yeah like he didn't get as physical you know, but, but like the comments and like, like I remember sitting, so, so I learned just to put headphones on and just listen to music. Like when they're arguing and fighting, I just, you know, you just block it out. So my mom's arguing and, and they're doing some st- whatever in the other room. Like they're just arguing about stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, like it never ends, you know? Wow. So I'm sitting there. And so he walks by to go out. Like he just like, walks by me and then there's a sliding door. And I literally, I was sitting in the chair and I look and he's like, he like looks at me and stops and he's pointing at me. Like he points at me and I, you know, I move my headphones. I'm like, what? He's like, you're a loser. And then walked out. I'm like, what? What? And then walked out like him being a bully made himself feel good. And so come to find out when we meet his family, you know, they're like, How is he? Like, how's that? Like, I don't know. He's like he's like, Well, we I mean, I guess his brothers and sisters, because he's the baby of the family, relentlessly terrorized this kid, bullied him, oh. terrorized this kid. You know, so he never felt valued, he never felt loved, he never felt so his version and even his parents like didn't really like really was there for him so he took all his stuff you know he became a bully because you know that's how he thought that you should be because that's how you feel loved you know whatever so that didn't last long that lasted maybe a year and then uh my mom moved my mom moved us out way way out (laughs) like out of the city like miles away and uh got her own house finally never owned her own house finally got her own house and she still lives there to this day and uh she's had you know different relationships and different you know marriages and they've all failed and Hmm. i don't have to be a part of that stuff so
0: you know whatever but uh what is a 10 year old or 12 year old or eight year old what do you remember telling yourself about the world around you and what you may have wanted for yourself in the future what kind of conversations were you having with yourself about you know what's to be for you
1: i i didn't i just needed to survive that was
0: it there was no hey when when i get 18 i'm out When of i get
1: older yeah. i'm out of here nope i just needed to survive it was a day-to-day man till the time that i was in sixth grade like like i i can't even so i would walk home from school and we would purposely walk really slow like i had some friends that kind of oh, really man. knew what was happening right like I was in chess club and played baseball and like I was into sports and stuff. And so, you know, my teammates knew and like my friends knew. And so they'd all walk. I mean, literally like they'd all walk home and I'm like, it's almost like farewell. <laughs> like, Oh man. But you know what I mean? And so I'm like trembling walking in the house. Cause I don't know what I'm walking into. You know, like, I don't know what I'm walking into. Like, is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood? Is he sleeping? I just don't know. And my mom worked like a bunch of jobs, so that she could really like get us out of dad and you know pay for stuff. So my mom never came home until like six thirty ish. I remember like six 30 ish. She'd call us and be like, "Hey, take the hamburger out, start browning it. I'll get home. I'll do the rest." So me and my older sister we learned how to cook because he never did. He never ever ever cooked. She calls on the phone and be like, "Hey, what's he doing?" Uh, he's sleeping or he's watching tv or he's drunk like he's got you know he's been drinking all day it's like crap okay here's what i need you to do and so we'd have like plans in place in case these things happened and so my mom always called to see what kind of mood he was in before she got home you know yeah and Tom. um and, and and yeah so to your point um it was surviving day to day.
0: Was that was and certainly to say that this came uh, to a head in 2008. Um, we'll get to that story, but were there any were there any thoughts or signs in your world that looking back predicted that moment?
1: Uh, I guess, I mean, being like a statistic, I guess. Oh, wow. So what happened in 2008? I mean, how, technically.
0: How did we get there?
1: Man, uh... Well, I mean, deployments aren't aren't easy. There's no there's no easy deployment. Yeah, I don't care where you are in the world. You know, there, there's there's no easy deployment. Um, so you know, being being you know what my job was, and being um, deployed a lot, I didn't reintegrate back well. First of all, uh, a lot of what happened between me and my wife, I just didn't reintegrate back into the life, you know, the married life or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just didn't. And one of the one of the telltale signs was my increased drinking. I drink all day, every day, Hmm. all day, every day, you know, just to I don't know. Yeah, just a, just a just a I don't know, I guess just a feel or just a I don't know. I don't know why I did. You know, you know, I'm sober now and yeah. I've been sober for a while. Uh but looking back at that, you know, there were like when I would drink, I would, you know, cuz I, now I had kids and I would I would feel like I'm going to turn into my stepdad. Hmm. I'm going to <clears> turn <throat> into to, to somebody who, who I absolutely hate or worse, I'm going to turn into my, to my father who, who I don't really have a relationship with, you know, he remarried and had more kids and he spends all his time with those kids and not really with me and my two sisters. Um, so, so that sucks. But I, I didn't have anybody like I had like my uncles, I had my grandfather to really kind of show me how to be a father and be a husband, but not every day. I didn't have that every day. That wasn't my upbringing, you know, and what really saved me besides like my mom and it was, was my grandfather and my, my aunts and uncles who was like, look, man, this isn't, this isn't the way the world works. You know, he's a bad guy. Your mom's really like, this is the way that you're supposed to be. And there were always like, you know, my uncle's the one who gave me like the sex talk. You know, my uncle is the one who really said, Hey man, this is how you act when you're on your date. This is how you act, you know, to a woman. And this is my grandfather would tell me, this is how you parent your children. This is how you're supposed to be. This is what works for, you know, whatever. But without that mentoring, I probably would have just taken my life and said, hell with it but um
0: but you actually uh you actually were were close right what was this christmas
1: christmas eve 2008 i actually had the gun in my mouth
0: wow i mean oh and 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 what happened or didn't happen
1: uh well you know feeling unloved feeling undervalued um i just you know i got phone calls from my dad I got people at my house knocking on the door, making sure I'm okay. Cause they haven't heard from me in a couple of days. Uh, I just, I didn't want to talk to nobody, you know, Christmas Eve in my house in my family is supposed to be the best time like ever, like, like, like ever the best time ever. And, um, and it wasn't because my wife and kids were gone. Mm. And yeah, so that was, so that was bad. Um. so I just I felt depressed I was drinking I was not in a good frame of mind and I said I can't live my life like this I'm turning into my stepfather I'm turning into um, I'm turning into somebody that I hate I don't want to be that person I don't want to be an abuser I don't want to I want to live a happy life you know and, uh, and I figured that this would be the best way to, to like, I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want my kids that like, I don't want it to be a generational thing where like, like my grandfather was, was beat. So my father was beat. So I was beat. So my kids are beat. So everybody, you know what I mean? Like all the way down, like, I don't want that generational curse. So hmm. I said, it's got to stop with me. And, uh, and luckily I had people around me, people calling me. Um coming to the house, you know, stop me, whatever, so I ended up living with my with my supervisor in the military. I ended up living with him for a couple of weeks, and they came and took all my weapons, everybody came to the house, made sure I was okay. they took all of my weapons, dumped out all my alcohol, um, and removed me from the house and I had to stay with my um, I had to stay with my supervisor for for a couple of weeks <laughs> it was it was just crazy.
0: what I love about all this is um, you you now are all about helping us. Tell that how we're living now is not how our story has to end. Tell me about that because it's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. My message for everybody today and forever is that you have the power to say this is not how my story ends. You have the ability to turn the page and write a new chapter. So today is the day that you decide to turn the page, close out that chapter and start writing your success story.
0: And what I love about that, I I love that so much. And I know um, from personal experience and from even those that I talked to today, for certain people, there's a resistance to that thinking, well, no, 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 I I, I would like that, but this person, I, I can't with that person in my life, or I can't with that job, or I can't with this, or I can't, I can't. Not the case, right? Not true whatsoever.
1: It's not. You know, there's science behind the abuser. There's there's all kinds of science. You know, Stockholm syndrome. Uh, I saw it with my trainees. You know, I was ugly to my female trainees just as much as I was to the males. But guess what? The females start liking it. The females start start following you. The females start, you know, like if I'm like I'm like on your face now, and they're they're down. You know, There's no mutiny. They understand that this is the way things are going, but, but the females start – like he's really yelling at this one person a lot. Let me try to deflect that. Let me try to deflect that anger towards me. And then they start bringing it on themselves. And we're mm. briefed about these things all the time. The males don't do that. The males just stay pissed off for like three weeks and go, never mind. He wins. You know? But the females try to take care of each other, and, and I mean the males do too in a way. But the females are like, "Well, he's really yelling at this one female. Let me try to take some of that anger away from her. Let me put it back on me." And you'll see this start to play out, you know, where where the females are really trying to band together and really trying to help that one female so that she's not yelled at so much. The males are like, "On your own, bud," you know. And then it just takes them longer. The females come together quicker. And they deflect some of that anger quicker. With the males, it takes them weeks and weeks and weeks. The same thing with an abuser in a relationship. If I'm yelling at the kids a lot, the wife will try to step in and be like, hey, you know, don't do this. or hey, And they'll try to deflect it. Same with the kids. The kids, not saying mine, but just in general. The kids, one kid's getting yelled at, the other kid tries to take a lot of, a lot of the abuse, right? The kids try to deflect it and, and it happened with our family. And there's a lot of emotional abuse where they just wear down the woman and go, you're nothing without me. I'm supposed to take care of you. You're nothing without me. You need me. You need-. And that whole like emotional and mindset and you know, all that abuse comes to play out where the woman cannot function without that guy because she doesn't think that she's enough. She's
0: not valued.
1: She's not enough. But that's not true.
0: So by embracing your message that we have the power to say, this is not how my story ends. What is the first step? Certainly to make the conscious choice that I'm going to change something, but then what?
1: To recognize that there is the choice. Yes. It's amazing. To recognize that you don't have to stay in the place that you are in. There's always something better. It's not that grass is green on the other side, none of that crap. It's that if you're not happy with your current situation, change it. There's two things in life you can't get mad at. Things you can change and things you can't change. If you can change it, change it. Don't get mad. Just change it. If you cannot change it, that's where acceptance has to happen. You have to accept the way that it is, but then change your mindset around that unchangeable situation. Yeah, I can't change the fact that I'm in the military because I have a contract, right? I have a contract that says that I must be in the military to this specific date. So me getting mad that I'm in the military is not going to do anything. I'm not just going to be like, I quit and walk out and I'm doing something the next day. It doesn't work that way. So why would I get mad? Right? So now I have to change my mindset around the fact that I am in the military until this specific date or whatever. Now with a relationship, you can always end the relationship. It's harder when you have kids involved, right? It's harder But in an abused situation, you got to leave. There's absolutely no one on earth should be ever abused. Ever. Not ever. Not ever. Never abused.
0: My brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding, really behind fear, using that as an excuse for everything. Can you think of a time where you were confronted with a boatload of fear and you could have gone in either direction, coward or not. And you chose not.
1: When was I ever in a situation between being a coward and so fight or flight? Did I run or did I fight? Yeah. And what were those situations? Yes. I've never run away. That's, that's one. Th- I've never run away. And I almost did. I mean, I guess if you want to, you know, may- maybe I was, maybe I was too big of a coward. To take my own life Maybe I was Because I was getting drunk And I was readying myself And like You know But But for the most part I've never Cowered away From From problems Or Or whatever um, I just I just I, w- I withstood A lot And I held a lot in I didn't I didn't So I would I would take in The abuse From everybody From yeah. From bullies from parents, from siblings, from school kids, you know, from, from maybe my wife got mad at me, was calling me names, i take that, but I never did anything with it. It just, it, just, it just stood there. I just held it all in. I didn't breathe out the negativity and inhale positivity. I just had it, it just stood there. It just sat there and it festered and it festered and it festered and it festered and I never knew how to deal with it. I never knew how to say, hey, I don't like being talked about that way. I don't all I did was just take it all. I just took it all in. Always, always. All the negativity of the world, I just took it all in. And I brought and I took the brunt of it all on my own. Because it stopped my mom from getting hit. And it stopped my sister. If I intervened, it stopped my mom from being hit or it stopped my older sister from being abused. And it all came on me and I just took it. And I've always just taken it. Bullies in high school, I just took it. You know, hits in football, I just took it. Awesome. Hockey. The hits, I just took it. Deployments, you know, I just took it. What? never did anything
0: with it. Connect these dots for us. What a story from, you know, all of your life to now from somebody who doesn't know that to seeing you today, man, to seeing you today. (laughs) I mean, you're a machine with <laughs> with everything, who you are, what you are, yeah, how man. you are online, what you're putting out. It is incredible to say the least. You are just, you're just killing it, nailing it. it it's there. How, yeah. how do we, how, how? Do, what is there? Give how us do you some get there? The, give us some of those how things that, that have to be done. Just a few of those so, nuggets that, that we can do.
1: Let me, let me, let me, let me say this. We all need coaches, we all need mentors, we all need people to to be there for us, right? People will not pay for a coach or a mentor until they see the value for themselves in themselves.
0: Oh, say it again. Somebody
1: will somebody will not pay for a coach or a mentor until they see that they are worth it. Until they see the value in themselves, they will not pay $1 until they see that $1 of value in themselves. So people only pay for the value that they see themselves. So if you're wondering why you're a $5,000 coach and some people are saying no, it's not because they didn't see your values because they don't see their value. They don't think they are worth it. That's the pivotal moment. When you start seeing the value in yourself and you start believing that you are worth it, then amazing things happen. If I didn't think I was worth a TEDx talk, why would I ever do TEDx? If I didn't think that I was worth telling, my, my story's not worth telling. Like I'm never gonna tell my story. Then I wouldn't be telling my story. I wouldn't be on podcasts. I wouldn't have my own show. The moment I realized that I was worth it was a right around 2014, 2015, and I was teaching these resilience skills. And as I was teaching them, I was using them myself. And it's a funny thing that happens. There's a really funny thing that happens where you sit on the couch you know, and, and, and you're having conversations and you're living your life and you're being a parent, whatever. And you're like, that's, that's not right. This isn't, we deserve better the way we're living. We deserve better. We deserve more. And then you go out and get it. And then you get it. And then a funny thing happens and you're like, I deserve this. I'm, I'm worthy of this. And a lot of people don't feel worthy. Then they go to church looking for that worthy, maybe God will make me feel worthy. You're already worthy. Just because someone doesn't see the value in you doesn't mean that you're not valuable. And I had to learn that. So the big thing, you know, as a coach, as a speaker, people will only pay for the value that they see in themselves. Hmm. And that, that, that has,
0: has to have, a, that, that's a conversation that has to happen. Wow. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason?
1: Everything happens for a reason. There is no coincidence in this world. Everything has already been predestined.
0: Tell me a bit more about that.
1: Everything's already, you and I were meant to be on this show right now at this very moment. We could have rescheduled 50 times. On the 51st time, that's the day we were meant to be on the show.
0: And what do I- Everything
1: happens for a reason.
0: what, What can I do with that knowledge to help me? in life what can that do for me knowing that or, go out or, or go accepting out, that
1: go out and make it happen so my favorite 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 movies are rocky i could literally watch every rocky movie all day long for for weeks i would never get sick of watching i just i just just thinking just thinking about rocky movies gets me emotional gets me pumped up brings tears to my face I love everything Rocky. Even Rocky in, 4 oh, I'm kidding. All of them. <laughs> all of them. In in the movie Balboa, he's talking to his son. And he says, life is not all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to, to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not blaming her and him or anybody, or because that's not how the world works. Okay. And he says at the end, he says, you're better than that. My takeaway from that is now you if you know what you're worth. Go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits. Most people aren't willing to take the hits. Most people get knocked down, they quit, and they're like, this isn't for me. I love entrepreneurship. It is the Rocky story. I love The fact that I was abused as a kid because it's become my story and the single greatest catalyst of my why, of how I act as a parent. It hurts me if I ever have to yell at my kids or spank my five-year-old because she bit my two-year-old. You know, like, like I don't want to do that, you know, and my wife's like, you never, you never yell at the kids or, or you're always so soft on the kids. And my greatest fear is turning into the single greatest person that I hate in my life. And I don't hate anybody. And, uh, rumor has it not unconfirmed, I guess he's dead now. Um, I don't know. Somebody said somebody somewhere years ago that he had died early 2000, mid 2000s or something like that. He had a bad heart and he had. Overdose and some stuff. I don't know. But I don't want to turn into that person. But I was never – I didn't have somebody growing up saying, you're worth it. You're amazing. I I really strive hard to tell my kids, like, you're good. Like, you're amazing. I love you. And, like, I'm really trying to, like – but I don't baby my kids. I don't coddle them. I don't baby them. I'm really tough on them. But what I will not do – Is out of hatred and out of spite. And, you know, my wife's like, get that, like, tell her, get, like, she's talking back. And she, you know, and I do the same thing to her. I'm like, hey, you're going to let her do that? Like, what do we get? Like, you know, I don't want to be the one that goes, oh, that's it. You know, you're going to kneel on rice, you know, which was a punishment that I knew as a kid and my mom knew as a kid, you know, kneeling on rice. You know, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's abuse nowadays. If you hit somebody with a belt, it's, Abuse, you know, but, um, hmm. but I, I I always make my kids um, realize like you're worth it, like go and get what you're like do it like you got this, and I'm really trying to encourage them the best that I know how. Um, I try doing affirmations. With my twelve-year-old, and she's like, "Oh, this is weird. Like, I'm not going to talk about myself." My five-year-old, I'm like, "You're beautiful." She goes, "Yes, I'm beautiful." And and so I'm really trying to like condition my girls, especially my girls, because a lot of girls don't think that they're worth it, and they have this comparison syndrome. Um, somebody called it one time, "comparanoia." They have this mm. comparanoia, you know, where it's like I'm comparing myself to every other woman, which is bad. Clearly. So what I've learned in life is that you will only pay for what you think you're worth. And my wife right now, we're looking at houses in Utah and I'm like, God, babe, $500,000 house. Like it's a lot of money. She goes, but yeah, but we got this. Like, I know, but still, I mean, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. (sighs) I don't know. Maybe a 300,000. She goes, what? No, not 300. No, no, no. So we're trying to find, like, what's our happy medium, Like, what's our budget? Like, what can we afford, right? She's like, babe, I did find this house for 800000 You know, I'm like, hell no. Hell no. And she's like, I know, but it's beautiful. Like, hell no. But wow. it just goes back to, am I worth that $800,000 house? Can I can I afford it? Do I want it? Do I need it? Like, there's a lot to consider. Somebody who's broke is never, ever going to ever manifest an $800,000 house in their life. But somebody who who knows what their worth is and knows what they can afford and is very comfortable, you know, taking the hits and and getting out there and getting after it. Dude, I, I, love, I, I love failing. I can't like I'm so comfortable failing, it's scary. Because I wanna because I wanna rise from the ashes. I almost I almost think that I that I do it to myself. Because I tell the wife, I'm like, yeah, I've got like this $5,000 client coming in. Like she's going to sign on. Um, I've already invoiced her. Like it's coming, you know? And so what do we do? Well, what are we going to do with that five grand? Well, I can pay for another coach or I can buy this or I could do up my website or maybe get this video. Like I'm already in my mind spending it. Guess what happens every time? Hmm. I never get that client. I never get the client. Literally every time. If I just say, oh, I'm getting this client. Awesome. And I move on to something else. Then it comes in. I swear to you, I'm not even making this up. If I say, "Hey, honey, got this client coming in," okay, so let's go out to dinner and like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a video made for my speaker reel, and then I'm gonna redo my website. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna spend all this money. Oh, and that five thousand is already spent because I know it's gonna be this, 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 this. Like I'm already like tasking, I'm already assigning those dollars. It's it's work, it's value. I swear to you, Josh, it never happens the client never signs on. It's so weird. I don't know. I'm superstitious as hell. It's so weird. I wonder if anybody else has ever had this happen to them. You're expecting money, right? You're expecting it, and then it never happens. And so I really strive to live my life with an unexpecting attitude. I don't expect anything. If they say they're going to sign on, they sign on. If they don't, they don't. I'm gonna do what I need to do to make sure that my family is taken care of and that we're living a great life. And I'm I'm giving the best service I can. That my clients are happy, and I know that I'm not gonna make everybody happy. I know that, and I haven't I haven't made all my clients happy, but for the most part, the majority they love working with me. They get the results that they want, and and I'm on a mission to change to change hearts and minds, you know, to a more positive one. And, and I, and I do it with an unexpected, I don't expect anything to come from this episode. If somebody messages us and says, great episode, that's awesome. If they don't, they don't. I go into every situation with an, with, with a non-expecting, unexpecting. I don't even know what you would call it. And I'm a speaker too. I don't even know, I don't even know the (laughs) right English word, but I, but I'm, I'm, I'm (laughs) non-expected. There's another (laughs) version. So that, so there it is, man. I, I live my life. And I try to do the best I can every single day. And I show up in a very genuine, authentic, and transparent way in every single moment of my life. That's it.
0: I feel like we're, we're over an hour in and uh, I wow. feel like, yeah. And I feel like we could have Joe Rogan this whole, this whole episode and go an <laughs> hour or two longer. Another, another two or three hours. I mean, don't you feel it? I feel Good like we still job. only scratch yeah. the surface. That's amazing. We still only scratch the surface. Incredible. Yeah. I hope this has been valuable. I will leave you with this final question. Sean Douglas, okay. how would you like to be remembered?
1: Oh man, you know, I I think it's very funny that you that you asked that because I was I was literally thinking
0: about oh boy, I think you I think you cut out for a minute. Yeah, can you you hear me?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna yeah, so I'm so I'm I'm gonna retire from the military and and i'm i'm not i'm not foolish i know that i'm going to be forgotten the next day you know the military is going to replace me with somebody you know i i i'm not i'm not somebody special that you know the military is going to put up a monument you know i've worked with the i've worked with hundreds of people who are amazing that nobody ever talks about but here's what i want to say to, your, to you to as an answer people don't remember what you said to them they Remember how you made them feel. I want people to remember that. I want people, when they think of me, I want them to notice my presence missing. Because a lot of people want to be known as, oh, look, this guy's here. He's here. He's here. They want to be known by how they are in the room. I want to be known by how I am absent in the room. That's how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered as somebody that made the room just a little bit brighter. I want to be known as somebody who will be the person that made them feel in a conversation like they were the only person in the room when we were talking one-on-one. I want to be remembered as somebody who made somebody feel like they are worth it, who made them feel enough. That's how I want to be remembered. I want to be known for my absence. Not so much as how I was in that room and how loud and boisterous and recognizable I was. That's how I want to be remembered.
0: Absolutely beautiful. I've asked that question to all of my 125 plus guests at this point, and I have never heard something so profound and beautiful. I love the remembered for your absence that uh, there's just something so so profoundly beautiful about that thank you for um for showing up and for opening up today absolutely beautiful dialogue thank you sir
1: thank you for having me on the show man it's been an absolute honor a blessing um you're an amazing host and i remember our episode and how amazing it was and this was exactly the same like we just picked up where we left off a few months ago when That's you were great. on my show man so yeah great show i i i'm subscribed to your show make sure that the people listening right now subscribe to this show and never miss an episode uh it, it, it's amazing you have a lot of amazing guests
0: Well, I appreciate that so much. And I do appreciate everybody tuning in, whether it's to this live broadcast or you're catching this on your favorite place where you get your podcasts. As Sean said, if you enjoy conversations like this, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google, wherever it is, and you'll never miss an episode. Uh, We'll keep the conversation going. I wanna thank everybody for tuning in. We're gonna do this again before, before too long. Until we do, go get them.
1: Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next
0: time.